0: the creeping terror and dread of this book is, is one of its leading uh, factors that makes me love it. Um, and you know, I, I'm happy to say that despite all of that, this is one of my favorite books we've read on the podcast.
1: That's awesome, man. Yeah. I
0: absolutely loved it. It's one of my favorite horror books I've ever read. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the kind of horror that I adore and it's, it's, it's very psychological. It's, it's slow burn, which I found that I tend to really like, um, it, It does things through its prose and through its writing that can only be done in a book in this way. Mm -hmm. And so in that case, it's like this is why horror works as a as a written genre And, and it shines in a book like this. Welcome, guests, to episode 186 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And this week we discuss Shirley Jackson's 1959 novel, The Haunting of Hill House. All right, James, you've received a correspondence. There's a mysterious doctor who's putting together an experiment at a house widely regarded to be haunted. He has identified you a certain affinity for paranormal activity... And would like for you to join him for an experiment. All food and lodging will be provided. Are you in?
1: I mean, I fancy myself a ghost hunter, so yeah, obviously.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, sign me up. I, you know, the the premise for this novel is so cool. Um, the the idea of going and and I love that there's like a, a real a rationality to the to the story too. Like, you know, people are skeptics. Uh, you know, the doctor is kind of a scientist, kind of a ghost hunter, although it's more of like academic who's like studying this kind of p- phenomenon. Um, so it's really presented in, a, in an accessible way for someone like me, who is a highly skeptical person. Right. And it's, it's a gu- it's a really cool way to like ease me into this story. Um, anyway, all that is to say, I- I'm really loving this story. I, I really enjoyed this book. Uh, what did you think of it?
1: Uh, Yeah, I loved it. So I had this interesting experience because I have seen the show uh, Haunting the Hill House on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of this like reversing to film uh, experience that I had, which I haven't seen. Yeah. And I was so I was bringing in some of that and sort of like seeing reverse engineering it back to the source was really fun. Um, And I mean, I was loving it in, in the same way that reading the novel this this story in particular, in the same way, reading the novel gets you really hyped and excited to see the the eventual adaptation. The adaptation in this case was getting me really excited to see the source material because I have heard that it's a it's an important book. And my I don't know about your copy, but um, I got like the Penguin Horror edition that had like yeah. a a foreword by Guillermo del Toro. Did you have that?
0: uh yes i had a ford was that who it was by uh no mine mine was an introduction from laura
1: miller as i had so mine did not
0: have the guillermo de toro one
1: so he, he apparently like works as like the series editor with penguin horror like like the publishing company like penguin mm-hmm. publishing company and um goes and gets like some really seminal like horror film horror stories and like that he loved growing up and just in general that everyone would love and and sort of like puts them all together but the reason i loved it is he's like a he's like this like king of monsters kind of person like like uh he loves horror he loves everything about it and he he's almost borderline a historian at this point he has like a house full of yeah all kinds I've of seen, collectibles I've seen,
0: uh, like a tour he was doing where he was showing it to somebody
1: yeah amazing stuff but so so he when he approached this introduction sort of seeding it in that history and saying like why these certain stories along the path of horror have been so important starting with like gothic romance and moving into like some of the more like moving into like edgar Allan poe and what poe did with horror and then moving it further from poe into some other people and eventually what lovecraft would do and, and 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 then in that way set all of this up to say how Shirley Jackson was such a big part of that that growth over time of the horror genre and like how this story in particular is just such a it is like the haunted house story it's like the perfect Mm -hmm. you know like succinct distilled version of a horror of a a haunted horror story haunted house horror story
0: yeah I mean I I think it's widely regarded as one of the best if not the best Um, it's the shining example of a haunted house story um, in many people's eyes
1: and speaking of The Shining, it kept yeah. making me think about The Shining a little bit. Like, yeah. clearly, uh, King has read th- this book and then would bring some of that into his novel, yeah. The Shining.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, we'll talk about uh, some of the influences. But, uh, I mean, you're, you're getting a little bit ahead of me. But, uh, yeah, King has said that he considers this novel one of the most important novels written in the 20th century. Wow. Yeah, it was an- incredibly influential on him. Yeah. So, but, yeah, I mean, all that aside, the, the introduction aside and everything... Uh, what was your experience like reading it just in general? We'll get into specifics in a, in a bio on Charlie Jackson and stuff here in a minute But I just wanted to you know some general thoughts.
1: Yeah, I loved it So I, I'm talking about this book again But I don't know if you can see the the edges here for the mm. people who can't see they're like black pages and they that's, almost that's like cool, shadow man. They shadow into the into the actual white here. So like there's a shadowed edge so just in in like the tangible Okay, your, your copy is way cooler than mine. <laughs> I'm jealous. <laughs> it's so it's so awesome. And and it's like it's got this like embossed sort of feel on the cover and stuff. Just the tangible nature of that and like reading along with it. It felt it was such a such a great experience. I loved reading this story. Mm-hmm. Um and and it did feel present and modern and also sort of like influential like we've talked about and important um, and you know like I said the, the way like I can reverse engineering like why they changed certain things for the show maybe or why they didn't change certain things and mm-hmm. character names and some of these things that pop up and references and so like it was a it was a really fun way for me to experience it and I was still surprised and taken on a journey even though I had seen the show so I guess that's a shining endorsement anybody who's seen the show that is interested I would I would definitely check out this book too. Right, so so it's still worth reading the book. I think Um, so, yeah.
0: Apparently I have seen an adaptation of this book because uh, in my research I saw that there were two films uh, adapted from this, both, both called The Haunting, Oh, okay. uh, one came out in 1963, and the other in 1999. Now, I have not seen mm-hmm. the 63 version, but I did see the 1999 version. It has Katherine Zeta-Jones and Liam Neeson in it? <laughs> what a 90s cast! That's awesome. <laughs> Apparently, it's really bad. It's w- widely panned. But the 60s version is supposed to be very good. So, definitely potential bonus episodes for us on our Patreon. We might. Awesome! We might yeah, that'd be those.
1: really cool. So, yeah. just the title makes me think about. House on Haunted Hill. And I can't remember if I like that yeah. movie or not because it's been so long since I've seen it.
0: Yeah, it really campy horror, like uh, early 2000s, I want to say, movie. And, and that's the thing, like, that. those are the direct adaptations, but the influence of this is massive. Like, even, so this last weekend, I was at um, the Nebula's uh, awards ceremony and conference. And one of the winners of an uh, award was a story by John Wiswell uh, called uh, Open House on the Haunted Hill. Was the name of the <laughs> short story that won a Nebula? So, so a, a, clearly a direct reference and in dialogue awesome. with with this piece. So, so really you know, cool. it's still influential, still you know, far reaching. And in fact, um, I was talking to Remy, a favorite of the show, and he mentioned that uh, he 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 sees Shirley Jackson as kind of the patron saint of horror writers. And I think that's that's definitely held true with what I've seen. Um, people, she's beloved by a lot of people.
1: I mean, that's awesome to hear. I really knew the influence, you know, like it's one of those stories where even if you haven't read it or seen it or anything like that, it's just the the waves reverberate out so much from a, from a, something like this, like a piece like this. And not just this book, you know, She's she has several other works that are
0: very famous, um, you know, and, and she uh, she died young, which we'll get into, but she achieved a lot in the time when she was writing, um, which is, you know, really incredible. So for my money, though, I just want to give my, my general thoughts on the book. Um, because I went to the to the conference, my reading time was a little compressed. I started the book before the conference, and then I thought maybe I'd have time where I could read some, but it ended up being like wall to wall. A lot of a lot of stuff I wanted to attend, and I couldn't read all weekend. And then so I picked it up, and and you know I had a compressed reading time, which was not ideal. Um, I wished I had been able to like spend a little more time with this book um, and really let it sink into me, because uh, the creeping terror and dread of this book is is one of its leading uh, factors that makes me love it um and you know I, i'm happy to say that despite all of that this is one of my favorite books we've read on the podcast
1: that's awesome man yeah. i
0: absolutely loved it. it's one of my favorite horror books i've ever read mm-hmm. um it's the kind of horror that i adore and it's 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 very psychological it's it's slow burn which i found that i tend to really like um it it does things through its prose and through its writing that can only be done in a book in this way. Mm -hmm. And so in that case, it's like, this is why horror works as a, as a written genre and and it shines in a book like this. So even despite all the things that were kind of stacked against it, I I still had a great experience reading this. So definitely highly recommend this. Um, We won't spoil anything here. We'll wait until we get into the plot summary, but if you're wondering whether or not this is a book you should check out, um it's it's just a great horror story the one thing I've heard from people and I know this because I think it was uh it was a reading in my Seton Hill uh one year where I was at Seton Hill a bunch of people read it who are students I forget why one of the classes or something and I didn't read it at the time but um I remember there it was a divisive book and that a lot of people found it to be slow um and so much like what i would consider like more artistic films you'll often hear that criticism of like oh the pacing's really slow i couldn't couldn't get into it or i got bored you you hear stuff like that that seems to be the criticism that gets leveled at this book um it is not like a flashy there's not a ton of actiony sequences there's not a ton of big scares with like i don't know it's not as uh flashy as a lot of modern horror Mm -hmm. um and uh, if if that's going to be a problem, I could see people not loving this book. But if you're into creeping dread that builds into something, it doesn't go nowhere. It's not just creeping mm-hmm. gr- dread that doesn't go anywhere. Like it really does crescendo into an awesome finale. And, and throughout the book, there's great moments. And a book that really seeps into you that, that um, really shows you uh, the inside of someone's mind as they're being affected by what's happening. Um, mm-hmm. If that all sounds interesting to you, then I definitely highly recommend this book because that's the kind of stuff I love, and that was on display here.
1: Well, on this podcast, we've said many times, like, this the slow burn, when it, when it's worth it, you know, there are, of course, I've seen films and I've read things that are slow burns and then ultimately, like, are, you know, they don't go anywhere, but yeah. this is not that case. Like you said, I... Your
0: patience is paid off, right? Like, something right. comes in.
1: <laughs> and, I think, and I think that there's something to be said for, like, the, you know, fast-paced age we live in now like maybe like i love taking it slow with stories sometimes and just living in that world like i can't like a great film when i'm sitting in a theater or whatever um it it like you want it to just last forever and and then that's why like you can i can really appreciate a slow burn film and then a lot of times there's a lot more to dig into on repeat viewings but i was gonna say i i appreciated the restraint in this story you're talking about the like maybe not necessarily like modern flashiness in a horror film but yeah. i appreciated it for that because it felt so much more on the edge of your peripherals and it's like like you said creeping dread and and it makes it feel more atmospheric to me it makes it feel like something that that we're in the house with them in a way and of course that like the house is a character in in itself and and that's another thing that that i thought jackson did extremely well was i know we've said it before even last last week we said with the, the murder on the Orient Express, the train mm-hmm. is like a character. This book, in in this book, the, the house on Haunted Hill is like legitimately a character. Absolutely. In so many ways. And, and like it's set up early on where it's less well, so.
0: And I would say that's true in, in any good haunted house story. <laughs> the house should be a character. <laughs> it has to be. Yeah. And
1: so uh, like, but the subtlety to which it's done is like early on, there's not as much. But then we start to, you know anthropomorphize i don't know if that's the right word but sort of like the the house is brought to life in ways that yeah. like the the what you're seeing around the house well, is the, described and
0: the um the point of view is um extremely close to eleanor but at times we get these like omniscient narrator moments mm-hmm. um and that's some of the times where we get the house being um personified right, right? and in, in ways that i think you're talking about
1: well and even yeah and and even our main characters at certain points will, like, as the book progresses, they'll look around and see something that yeah. shouldn't happen in a, in a house and that sort of thing. And it's it's yeah. just, th- like, the way that it builds to that I thought was really, really nicely done.
0: So, I mean, so much to get into once we get into the nitty gritties. Um, and I want to talk about Shirley Jackson, but... One thing I want to do, and, I, and maybe this will become a segment for us. We've talked about how we don't have many segments, but um, at times I've done this on the show. I realize, and we just have never come up with a name for it.
1: We, uh, what's our one segment, our one famous segment? Would you do it? Would you Would do you it? it? I kind yeah, of,
0: yeah. I kind of let, let off with that this time.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> our fam- famous, famous. <laughs> it's our famous.
1: It's our famous segment. Everyone knows.
0: No, so this one, I, I, I thought we'd call like uh, Luke's banging book beginnings. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we can workshop the name, yeah. Um, but like but basically, like I love a good opening for a book, yeah. And um, I'm, like I'm just a geek about that kind of stuff. And and not every book is made or you know, it's not a make or break thing. You can have a great book that has a kind of forgettable in, uh, beginning, but I love it when you have a great book with a great beginning, and that's what we have here. So uh, I would like to read the opening paragraph of this book, um, which I think is one of the best perhaps ever written, uh, especially in the horror genre. No live organism can continue for long to exist sanely under conditions of absolute reality. Even larks and katydids are supposed by some to dream. Hill house, not sane stood by itself against its hills, holding darkness within it had stood for 80 years and might stand for 80 more within walls continued upright. Bricks met neatly. Floors were firm and doors were sensibly shut. Silence lay steadily against the wood and stone of Hill House and whatever walked there walked alone. So good. So atmospheric. It sets up so many things about this book because um, that's what, in my opinion, a great opening does is it it gives you, in a moment, a taste for what's in store. And um, I think that that is a perfect example of that. That that mm-hmm. paragraph is what this book is. <laughs> and it's, it's so good. And without
1: being ob- too obvious too like, of course, you kind of know what the title of the book and, and like with that paragraph, you kind of get like what's going on, but you have no idea. I mean, idea it is really. in,
0: in like its essence, right? Like it, it, that, that feel of that paragraph is the feel of the book. Right. I don't know. I love the idea of these Katie dids <laughs> like dreaming and it's just it's so sprawling. It does things that like common wisdom tells you not to do. Cause mm-hmm. it's starting with, you know, there's no real character there. It's just like a, it's almost like setting, it's starting with setting. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does it so well that it's one of those times where it's like, yeah, if you do it this well, you can do anything you want. Right. Um, and, and, and it, it just nails it. Um, okay. Let's move into talking about the woman herself, Shirley Jackson. So she was an American writer known primarily for her works of horror and mystery, Over the duration of her writing career, which spanned over two decades, she composed six novels, two memoirs, and more than 200 short stories. Born in San Francisco, uh, Jackson attended Syracuse University in New York, where she became involved with the university's literary magazine and met her future husband, Stanley Edgar Hyman. After they graduated, the couple moved to New York and began contributing to The New Yorker. The couple settled in North Bennington, Vermont. After publishing her debut novel, The Road Through the Wall, in 1948, she gained significant public attention for her short story, The Lottery, which presents the sinister underside of a bucolic American village. She continued to publish numerous short stories in literary journals and magazines throughout the 1950s, and in 1959, she published The Haunting of Hill House, a supernatural horror novel widely considered to be one of the best ghost stories ever written. In an era where women were not encouraged to work outside the home, Jackson became the chief breadwinner, while also raising the couple's four children. According to Jackson's biographers, her marriage was plagued by Hyman's infidelities, notably with his students, and she reluctantly agreed to his proposition of maintaining an open relationship. Hyman also controlled their finances, batting out portions of her earnings to her as he saw fit despite the fact that after the success of the lottery and later work, she earned far more than he did.
1: I think I've read the lottery, by the way. I'm pretty sure that like, yeah, I think that like one of my teachers recommended it in school to me. I was thinking about how much
0: I want to read it because it sounds awesome.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I swear that I've read that story. I'm pretty sure I'm gonna have to look into it after this. Apparently it has a short film
0: adaptation too. So we Um, could look into that. I don't know how well known it is, but we can look into it. So her son Lawrence said she did work hard She was always writing or thinking about writing, and she did all the shopping and cooking too. The meals were always on time, but she also loved to laugh and tell jokes. She was very buoyant that way. By the 1960s, Jackson's health began to deteriorate significantly, ultimately leading to her death due to a heart condition in 1965 at the age of 48. Um, From what I was seeing, she was known for being this, like, intensely funny um but but like she had like a dark side to her and she she could she could snap at people a little bit um she they would throw these big parties at her house and she she and others and you know her family and in that group were just known for being like you know prodigious drinkers uh smokers um and they, they would throw these wild like literary parties that you hear about um so she 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 lived intensely. I guess is what I'm trying to say. She she was into witchcraft and stuff. I think she like studied it some for her books. Um, so she was. I don't know. She she would often write these books that have these like mousy, quiet girl uh, protagonists. And so for that reason, I think she's also beloved by a lot of like women horror writers who just really saw themselves in a lot of these characters that she would. She would have front and center, and we have one here in Eleanor. Um, often there's actually a pair of them, pair of women who who have, you know, really interesting dynamic relationship, and we have that here too. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and that, that's apparently present in a lot of her work. Um, another novel that she's really known for is We Have Always Lived in the Castle. I know I've heard of that one. I think there may be an adaptation for that one too. Um, I would love to come back and do some more Shirley Jackson just because of how much I love this novel. So um, I'd be really, really interested in that. Um, unfortunately, she, her, some of her health conditions seem to have been linked, partially to maybe her lifestyle, but also to um, different prescription drugs she would take. Um, some of them for uh, mental health issues. Other other ones, I think, for weight loss. I, I heard somewhere. Um, so she she was on all these different medications that may have contributed to heart problems. I don't know, but I mean to die at forty eight is is tragic, and yeah, but to still have made this kind of a kind of a mark on the literary world is pretty amazing, and to raise four children. At the same yeah. time, she's doing all of this, and, and apparently, this kind of a dirtbag husband <laughs> sounds like she was Do, dealing with.
1: So, did she see the like success of her labors before she passed away? It sounds she did. Like she it, right? she yeah. because
0: she was making good money. However, her husband controlled their finances, so gotcha. it was like he was kind of living high off of it and just like giving her allowance. Is what, kind of what it seems like. Wow. Um, you know. So, yeah. Um, and th- that's what I'm seeing. I you know I, I obviously don't know all the details. I did want to say I, I read here that Shirley Jackson has been cited as an influence on many, uh, many different authors, um, including some notable names that we've covered on the podcast, including Neil Gaiman, Stephen King and Richard Matheson. have all yeah. cited her as like a key influence. And I can definitely see Neil Gaiman. I don't know. I was thinking about Coraline a little yeah. bit with this book. I mean, obviously, Eleanor is not like a young child, but she is she is kind of a had childlike mind at times. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, I was just thinking about Neil Gaiman. It seems like the kind of book he would love. And in fact, I think he was the one who said that it's it's the scariest novel he's ever read. Yeah, when wow. someone asked him what the scariest novel he ever read was, he listed this one.
1: That's awesome. Like you said, to make that kind of impact in such a short period of time is amazing. And like, you know, these people that we respect immensely, like, like I assume that she also... What's the author of uh, Frankenstein who also had massive impact? Mary Shelley. Mary Shelley, yeah. I yeah. thought it was Shelley. Um, she I, I assume like also similarly, like I'm sure all of these people would say that she's an influence on them as oh, well yeah. just by based on her impact in horror with, with yeah. uh Frankenstein. So there one thing I saw that was interesting is that when she was writing this novel,
0: she went and read a ton of other horror uh like haunted house stories that were out at the time mm-hmm. to like know the genre well. And one of the ones she read is The Turn of the Screw by Henry James was one of the, like, key influences for this novel. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, that novella, The Turn of the Screw, is the basis for The Haunting of Bly Manor, which is the second season, like, the second—it's sort of season. It's, like, a installment in this, this haunting. Uh, Mike Flanagan run, I think. Uh, I assume both are uh, run by him. I actually don't know. But— uh, Uh, series on netflix
1: yeah i watched part of that one as well uh so maybe we cover that at some point i would like to cover that because i've heard of the turning of the screws before yeah turning of the screw is an
0: 1898 novella too so talking going way back on that one let's do it (laughs) yeah it could be cool so uh yeah i mean i know some other stuff i you know i watched some videos talking about her i read some stuff but um i think it's time to move into plot and then if anything comes up i'll mention it um, I have four paragraphs here, a plot I'll read, and we can kind of react to each chunk as we move through. As we go into this, we're going to start getting into spoilers, so be aware. So, Hill House is a mansion in a location that is never specified, but is between many hills. The story concerns four main characters. Dr. John Montague, an investigator of the supernatural. Eleanor Vance, a shy young woman who resents having lived as a recluse caring for her demanding disabled mother. Theodora, a bohemian artist implied to perhaps be in a relationship with a woman, and Luke Sanderson, the young heir to Hill House, who is host to the others. Dr. Montague hopes to find scientific evidence of the existence of the supernatural. He rents Hill House for a summer and invites several people whom he has chosen because of their experiences with paranormal events. Of these, only Eleanor and Theodora accept. Eleanor travels to the house where she and Theodora will live in isolation with Montague and Luke. Hill House has two caretakers, Mr. and Mrs. Dudley, who refuse to stay near the house at night. Okay, so let's stop here and talk about, you know, our, our main characters and the introduction of Hill House, because I think there is a, there's a lot to talk about there.
1: I, I just want to say one more thing about just kind of more generally. this The way that stories like this make me love horror can't be overstated like i i i like am hungry for more horror right now just because of how good this was and i feel like i i underrate horror in my mind sometimes like i know it's one of my favorite genres but it's when i read something like this or consume like a piece of horror that i'm like god it's like up there it's like it's it edges out like every once in a while it'll be my favorite genre you know Mm -hmm. easily and like a story like this like i'm i'm completely in the mood for horror now and i um like while reading this i also watched the show on amazon called truth seekers and it's kind of this like it's so it's it's awesome it's it's uh nick frost and simon Pegg uh wrote it and and they're both in it as well but it's this so it's this show it came out in 2020 and it's they're like one of them is like a wi-fi installer so he like sets up routers and everything for Mm -hmm. people he's like an internet service provider uh worker and he also on the side has a youtube channel where he's like a He's like a supernatural investigator, like okay. ghost, ghost gotcha. kind of like so. And so he's going into houses and setting up Wi-Fi, but then also realizing that there like crazy, you know, ghost stories that are happening in the background. And it's it's really fun because each episode is like really self-contained. Um, but I I just like w- w- re- watching that while also reading this, and it's really just like kickstarted me to the point where I'm like, all right, I'm like, I feel like it's October already. Like yeah. it's time to start consuming all of the all of the horror, and I I just like am so. I don't know. I'm in love with this, this and, story yeah. and, and I can't, like, I don't know. I can't state that enough, I guess.
0: Yeah, no, I'm with you, man. Horror cannot be confined to a single month. It has to be in every, it has to be year round. I'm with yeah. you. Uh, it's, you know, it, I, I'd be so hard pressed to choose, you know, fantasy, sci-fi and horror. I list them all three as genres that I write um, when I list them because I do write all three. I do love all three equally in my eyes. Like I I really am hard pressed to pick between them. Yeah. Um, And they they all blend together really nicely. And they all blend together. (laughs) I love it when they, when they start, you know, those lines are not so clear, but anyway, let's talk about our characters. So um, I love how each, each character gets like a moment um, where we see them in their like home environments, except for the doctor, not really the doctor, but we we get the the other three. And I did think it was funny. There's a character named Luke in this book. Luke Sanderson. Yeah. Um, he's introduced as being a liar and a thief. Um, I was like, oh, oh here we go. <laughs> um, but he ends up not being like too bad. I don't know. He's he's not great, but he's mm-hmm. he's. Um, I, and that's one of the things I actually really liked about this book is how every character is flawed. You know, they're introduced as as being people who are. You know, I don't know. They're not, they're not great, but they're also right. they're also like. It's a it's a really rich. Character study on each of them um, in a way especially Eleanor and Theodora to a lesser extent
1: and I love how it feels tropey when we're introduced to these characters at first Like you feel like you know the archetypes right away, but they aren't really that neat and orderly Like I love the way that that sort of it, it You know, like you said, it's a nice character piece because it does it does explore these characters in ways I don't think most people would expect.
0: Mm -hmm. So uh, Eleanor in particular, I think she's our main character for the most part. She's the one whose point of view we're closest to. So I want to talk a little bit about her because when we first meet her, I think it's like talking all about how she hates her all, all of her family members. She's like, there's not anybody she hates more than this person and that person. And she seems like kind of a nasty person. when We're first introduced to her. But then she, we, we get her, like, sneak out and get the taxi and go steal the family car, essentially. Yeah. Um, and she has this moment where she runs into an old woman and then, like, ends up paying for her taxi cab ride home. Um, and I thought that was maybe a, like a save the cat moment. Just as a writer, I was like, why is this moment in here? It feels weird. And then I realized that it was immediately sort of rehabilitating her in our eyes because we see how apologetic she is, how how friendly she is to this woman, how bad she feels. more her situation
1: than, than yeah. maybe her personality in yeah. general.
0: And then we get this ride where she's driving through the countryside and imagine, she's very dreamy and I think mm. it works perfectly. Her, her, We're so deep in her mind and we're getting all of these fantasies she's having as she's approaching the Hill house and she sees this house with these lions on the end and she imagines, Oh, what if that was where I was going? What if I was going to live in a house like that? And, um, you know, she dreams about this. She meets this child who has this glass with stars in it and wants her star cup and stuff. And she starts, like, imprinting on this girl and, like, identifying with her strongly so much so that later on she tells a story that is essentially that about herself, and it's unclear whether or not that's a complete fabrication. I think it might be. Um, or if she just is, like, reality is getting blurred. But um, all of this is happening, and she's feeling great. She's, like, loving life. She's She's so... Um, optimistic about where her life's going and um, and w- this whole time we know she's approaching Hill House which has been set up by the opening to be this evil place <laughs> and we're like uh oh so you feel this dread of like what's she in for she's, she's so full of life that um, I immediately just loved this character like I, mm-hmm. I deeply empathized with her and I just wanted nothing but the best for her and I know yeah. that wasn't what was going to happen but um, you know I just strongly identified with her
1: the other characters sort of almost right away see her as, like, weaker and more gullible yeah. and, um, you know, treat her a certain way based on that. They treat her like a child, like you said earlier, yeah. a little bit sometimes. But, like, because we're getting the inner thoughts, we we are not on the same page as those characters who are seeing her in that light. And I think that's an interesting perspective to put on the main character.
0: Yeah. Well, and then we get this moment where she goes into this house I think it's called, or this uh, town. I think it's called Hillsdale. Um, And it reminded me of like a lot of scenes from different movies where it's like she's all happy and she comes into this like, yeah, like there's like flies. (laughs) I feel like it's like all I don't even know there was, but it feels like there is. It's all run down. There's like. This, you know, woman behind the, the, the counter who's like really kind of rude and the strange guy looking at her and they're like making fun of her for being out there and they're the locals and the, both of them like hate it here and they're like, why would you ever come out here? We have no tourists. Um, and then that's like her first like moment of, oh, maybe this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, and then you follow that up with her arriving at the house um which at first is like super scary right or like uh, spooky in the in her interaction with the groundskeeper who tries not to let her in and she has to like fight her way in basically like she's not actually fighting but she has to like
1: negotiate this story does an interesting thing with humor too like i wasn't expecting yeah. it to be quite as funny as it and it's not yeah, like it's on clever. the face uh like funny and it's not jokes and stuff it's more like situational if you want to put yourself in that situation the way that she's dealing with the uh the groundskeeper and like the way their interaction goes is just it's like it's off-putting but it's also kind of funny
0: yeah well and then she meets this uh mrs hubbard character is it mrs hubbard or am i getting that mrs dudley sorry mrs hubbard was last week yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh mrs dudley the 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 woman uh and she gives her this speech and mrs dudley throughout is I think I think a a key source of c- comedy um, yeah. because she has these things that she just says over and over again. Yeah. And um, she gives her this very ominous speech as she walks her up to her room. And and this whole time, like she's she hates the house immediately and she sees it. She's like reviled by it. She's like, this this house is gross. It's mm-hmm. I don't want how, you know, I want to turn around and leave immediately as soon as I see it. Um, so it's not what she thought it was going to be. But she's like being game, and she takes she takes her up to the to the blue room because each room they're in is like color coded.
1: Yeah, and I will say I don't think that she necessarily I don't think the look of it was that it was gross. I think it was more the vibe that she yeah, was getting well, it. she's getting from so, Well, because she's it got she's potentially got these psychic
0: powers is kind of the implication yeah. of how she was chosen. So yeah, maybe it's maybe it's psychically she feels the evilness of it.
1: Or it could also just be like you know intuition like people yeah. like I get you know if you go into a situation or like a place you might you might feel like oh this has a weird vibe yeah. like something like that.
0: Well and they describe some reasons later why it also could be it, it seems like it's it's like um it starts to feel kind of claustrophobic which is interesting because it's so big but once the, once they get in there they feel like they're trapped right like they have entered yeah. into this trap they can't leave and it's it's like um it's very it's described as being very soft like there's a lot of lace there's a lot of cushions of this Mm -hmm. stuff yet it's it almost like suffocating like a pillow would be suffocating you know what i mean like
1: well one of my favorite parts was when they say like all these like amazing chairs and then you sit on them and they're like hard yeah and they're not they're not inviting but they're not (laughs) exactly
0: (laughs) yeah and then they and then there's a part later on where they start talking about the layout of the home yeah this
1: is one of my favorite Part I just love that this yeah. was in, in, in this story. This this kind yeah. of stuff always fascinates me because and they even reference the uh, the other home that's sort of
0: the Winchester House, the yeah. Winchester House, which yeah. I've never been to, but I know about. You know, I've I've seen yeah. videos about it. I've heard from people who've actually been to it. And um, I was thinking the whole time, I'm like, I wonder if this was inspired by the Winchester House. I should look that up and see if it was like in existence at the time this book was written. And then sure enough, it gets mentioned in the book itself. So, right, um, it was kind of lampshaded. But yeah, it, um, the the description of the home is that it. Uh, it's this giant mansion. It's freaking huge. But um it's like not at right angles and it's not level. And so, like everything's just a little bit off. Every, I
1: think that the way they described it is like every corner is like s- like a, de- a couple degrees off. Yeah. So like if you're if you're in a window looking out at the front yard when you should, if it if it was laid out like a normal,
0: yeah, like square-ish rectangle-ish house, yeah, know.
1: symmetrical, then you would be able to look out and see the driveway and like in certain rooms because of the way that like it's twisted over time because it's such a large thing that those small incremental shifts in degrees make it so that it's like you can't even see the driveway from certain so it's all very like it's
0: disorienting right and they keep they keep getting lost there's like a million doors there's all these little hallways and stuff i love that and i don't know if you've ever been in like really old buildings like this but Mm -hmm. um this is like legit like some of these buildings definitely feel this way and i think she's playing it up to an even more extreme uh, state but like even my, my, my college I got my MFA in Seton Hill is a very very old building um, mm-hmm. certain parts of it and um, it feels like this like there's weird passageways some of the stairs seem like weirdly sized and all of a sudden doors, something opens sometimes up there's into a hallway random small door. yeah there's like a little, little yeah. weird door there's a hallway you didn't expect to be there like there's all kinds of weird stuff like that um, and so I, I totally was buying that but anyway yes um, then Theodora comes in And I loved how quickly they have this like intense bond, like they're immediately Mm -hmm. like really close. Um, They both realize that this house is awful, yet it seems like they're going to if they're going to make it through this, it's going to be through like the strength of their friendship. Um, Mm -hmm. They kind of go on a walk together out in the garden and it seems like the garden's not so bad. Um, although they do see somebody, I think like I see a figure or something at one point. So some spooky shit happens. But
1: one of the main things that worked for me with that too was like they had this thing where they felt like they were almost like reverting to ch- children, and they were running through the garden at one at some points, and like yeah. sort of like that that sort of friendship that you have with somebody where you feel comfortable doing anything right away. And they felt like kids again, and so like that that sold me on their relationship really quickly. I thought that was smart.
0: Yeah, and then later on uh, when we learn more about the house, um, it's it's. They discover that there were two daughters who lived here and grew up here and then had this really bad <laughs> falling out and um, nastiness as they got older. And, you know, even though you don't know that at the time, I like the idea of that's that parallel. Right. Like they mm-hmm. are they are sisterly here and they almost seem like little girls playing together.
1: Yeah. They immediately almost, they call themselves like cousins or something right away. And they're trying to like force their families. They're trying to say like, you were, you know, I went here and you must be, you must be like a relative of this person in my family. So somewhere along the way, we're family. And they they were like, just like kind of selling themselves on that.
0: Yeah. Um, So it's really interesting, right? Because like uh, Eleanor has like left her life where she felt trapped and she is seeking adventure and she's seeking the vibrancy of a new start and she's thinking about these exciting people she's going to meet at this exciting place and it's going to be that she's going to be a new woman and she's going to be remade by this um and instead she falls into the trap that is hill house um and there is a read of this book that a lot of what the supernatural stuff that is happening um we're getting ahead of us a little bit but anyway um that some of the supernatural stuff that's happening could be being caused by Eleanor because she has mm-hmm. this sort of telekinetic power poten- potentially um and and so it's like she's she gets caught up in the the house and whatever that force is um starts seeping into her mind and as much as i loved all the setup i i i, I really loved when we started to see the effects of the house on her so let's i guess let's start well, real quick, what, we got to talk about Dr. Montague a little bit. I actually thought he was really charming. I, I You know, I, I expected him to be this like, you know, scary doctor type who's maybe kind of aloof and like, you know, oh, I'm just running an experiment, you know, I don't want to get involved. But he was like super charming. He was playing chess with them. He was eating with them. He just seemed like a guy, Um, seemed really open about what was going on, um, seemed like he, he didn't want anybody to get hurt. So he's like wanted to be careful. Um, all that stuff. It made me like him a lot. Um, yeah, I I thought he was cool
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I agree. I I thought that you know in the traditional if you see like a film from like the 50s or the 40s And there's like a scientist in it and he's sort of like There's experiments going on or there's like something he's studying Like typically that person is like not necessarily to be trusted. Yeah Um, and in this case he's like inviting them to a haunted house and like that seems creepy on its own Like what is it? What is his ulterior ulterior motives? And it turns out, like, he doesn't necessarily have any. He was just really trying to study the ghosts and yeah. stuff or whatever. He's going Basically, on what he
0: said he's doing is exactly what he's doing. He wasn't, like, doing secret experiments on them or anything, which I was kind yeah. of watching out for. No, he wasn't really doing any of that.
1: And he's also the character who is sort of doubting everything along the way. Like, yeah. he's he's got all the, all the solutions for why people did certain things and mm-hmm. why things turned out the way they did and then also like he's the person who's sort of describing the reason why the house all the doors like close on their own is because of the the different angles and the way that it's shifted and you know the wind through there and so like he's always the person who's sort of giving you the plausible deniability to be like it's not ghosts it's you know whatever he's saying it's just something in the real world he's
0: the voice of reason right yeah yeah him and luke a little bit because luke is also not sort of psychically attuned it's really only theodora and eleanor who are um and it is interesting, right? It's the two men. The two men aren't. Um, and although they do see like a dog at one point that they chase out into the night. Um, oh, well, they
1: start to see things like they see some you know, stuff,
0: but um, most of the time it's Eleanor exclusively and sometimes Eleanor and Theodora who are, who are experiencing most yeah. of it. I
1: think as as get this, we get further along in the story, we see everybody starts to see more and more because obviously the things, the occurrences start to be more Yeah. I don't know. Severe. Yeah,
0: there's definitely stuff happening. I, I, the question, I guess, is: is it being caused by the house itself, or is Eleanor doing something right. with it too? But you know, I, just talking about it, this does really remind me of The Shining, right? Um yeah. With um, the kid, what's the kid's name? Danny, right? Because yeah. the whole thing is that Danny's kinetic, uh, you know, uh, telekinesis, sort of powering, his powers, his, his shining yeah. is right. the thing that the like hotel wants. So, it's feeding off of it almost, yeah, exactly. And that you could say that that maybe is happening here too. Maybe, maybe Hill House is feeding off of this power in Eleanor. So, uh, yep. yeah, S- Stephen King, I mean, that that book may be greatly inspired by this one. You know, that, that that's just the way these things work. And, um, you know, it's okay to be inspired by people, and, and you can take it and do something a little different and, and still have some of that same DNA there.
1: And really, like, uh, you could, like you said, it's a reading of it. You could also say that the house itself just is doing this. Yeah. And she just ha- so happens to be the, the thing, the person, because she has this telepathic power, maybe that's the, the most interesting thing to the house. So they're after the, her. It makes um, her
0: uh, potentially uh, just an easier victim for the house. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. And then and then someone like Stephen King reads this and it says, like, what if I shift it slightly and say that it definitely is feeding off of her? And, like, that's why that's what's powering that is almost like a battery for the house. Yeah. Um, when she's there kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay, let me read the next paragraph
1: of a summary. The four
0: overnight visitors begin to form friendships as Dr. Montague explains the building's history, which encompasses suicide and other violent deaths. All four of the inhabitants begin to experience strange events while in the house, including unseen noises and ghosts roaming the halls at night. Strange writing on the walls and other unexplained events. I think ghosts roaming the halls is maybe a bit poetic license in the person who wrote this summary. There are Mm -hmm. weird events happening. Maybe ghosts. We don't know. Things
1: right out of the, like I said, like things that they don't necessarily see but feel like something moved. Or or they hear like like footsteps
0: or they hear banging. It happens at one point. Eleanor tends to experience phenomena to which others are oblivious. At the same time, Eleanor may be losing touch with reality. The narrative implies that at least some of what Eleanor witnesses may be products of her imagination. Another implied possibility is that Eleanor possesses a subconscious telekinetic ability that is itself the cause of many disturbances experienced by her and other members of the investigative team. So that, that's a bit of editorializing here in the summary, but I I do agree with that. Like it's definitely given as a possibility that she could be kind of causing. And and there's a particular moment where she says, um, and this, like there's so many creepy moments. I almost give me chills to talk about, but she says, um, How can they be hearing the sound? It's coming from inside my head. Yeah. And that, like, is a really creepy moment. And that that does kind of imply that, like, what if she's causing this to happen?
1: There, As it gets further along in the story, there are moments where it's, yeah, near the end, it's kind of implied that, like, some of the stuff maybe was her doing. And, like, you know, like you said, maybe her... Because... I mean, I don't think it's really we're spoiling things right now. I think it doesn't matter. But nearing the end, uh, you know, there's banging on doors and things throughout. And then nearing the end, she actually goes around banging on doors and doing almost everything that's being talked about in the story up to this point
0: interesting though early on one of the key turning moments turning points in her relationship with theodora i think is when theodora accuses her of writing there's like a her name up this like message appears written in chalk on the walls yeah Um, i think that's the first
1: real like sort of splintering of the group because
0: theodora like accuses her of writing it herself Mm -hmm. and um which i was unclear because i thought they were like together the whole time i don't know i was like when 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 would she have done this i don't don't know luke is
1: the only one who left the group at that point right
0: Yeah. But I do love the idea of this, like, because, you know, in real life, if a fucking writing appeared on a wall and I was with some strangers, I would assume somebody wrote it. You know what I mean? I wouldn't assume a ghost wrote it. So it is the kind of thing that would happen. And I love that they start after starting out so friendly, they all start kind of turning on each other a little bit. And I noticed that the language uh, Shirley Jackson uses um, shifts. And she starts describing things as being annoying, as being irritating, as maddening. You know, I could mm. strangle her. Like she starts thinking like these, you know, like mean thoughts about Theodora and like violent thoughts. She starts and different people are grading and she finds someone to be stupid. And she, all of a sudden Eleanor, who was so like, you know, bubbly and, and, and full of life early on now is starting to get mean and, and like, uh, judgy and angry. Um, and this is the kind of stuff where it's like the, the prose shifts and we start to, the effect of the house is subtly changing the way she perceives reality. Um, and as that starts to happen, that's like my favorite, that's my favorite shit, right? Cause that's next level writing stuff where you are seeding in a change in personality through the diction you're using, through, um, the tone and through the word choice and just everything, um, and it's done so well. Uh, it's and it's it's clever, subtle stuff that I think writers should pay attention to if they read this.
1: That's the thing that really worked for me too. Was it wasn't? It's not like a f- like a switch flipped. It's mm-hmm. just like a little Slowly, thing at first, yeah. and then a little bit more later. And then as time goes on, nearing the end, she's like talking in her head about like I want to hurt them. I want to kill them. Stuff like that. And you're like, holy shit. Yeah. Like we're far. We're off the deep end <laughs> now.
0: Yeah. Well, and she's just losing it, right? Um, okay, so couple things happen in this part I do think we should talk about. Um, they, they find this statue and they find this like study and um, the statue is really weird and they all have different takes on like what it could be. And we keep hearing about Crane and his daughters and how um, he had multiple wives who died here. And then he had these daughters who, who were raised here by their governess while he was like off in Europe or something. So they were like basically alone here, um, mm-hmm. which just sounds miserable. Um, and yeah, there's all these artifacts they keep finding. And then at one point they find this book that apparently he wrote for his daughters and it's very religious
1: (laughs) and creepy and it's got all these drawings in it. Well, and he like, he like has little comments in the, in the margins for his daughters who are reading it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and I, I, multiple times, um, this, this novel kind of turns away from certain details. And I think it's really interesting because it's that thing that people always talk about um and it's almost a cliche to talk about but like the unseen being scarier than the scene sometimes and the imagination Hmm. feeling you know and there's so much of that going on here and it's true i mean that is a real thing and it's not easy to achieve um but here she is well and like there's there's like a part where she doesn't want to look at hell in the book because she's seen these, like she's already frightened Eleanor by seeing some of these drawings. And so she looks away and we just get Luke's reaction to it as he's like looking at it. He's like, Oh yeah, this yeah. is the worst one. Um, and so you kind of get to fill in the, the blanks with your mind. You don't ever get a direct description of what's in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of stuff is the same way that a lot of the more horrifying moments are dealt with. And like um, there's this particular moment where she goes on this like mind bending walk with Theodora um, where like the grass turns white and the path turns black, and um, they go and then all of a sudden they're in this garden with like a there's like a picnic happening, all this color, and mm-hmm. then Theodora starts yelling to like screaming to like run, something's coming, and then they, she runs and she never looks back to see what it is, and right. we only so, hear the description of what Theodora saying out, you know something was chasing us, and we never it's never really described, and that's the moment I'm yeah. talking about, where we're like. That's almost more terrifying because you don't know what it was.
1: Yeah, it's great. It it really is good. That that scene was amazing. Um, we it, we never see a creature in this, right? Yeah. So like in in so one of the examples I've given about like King, for example, is like in The Shining, we get like a. Creature eventually. That's like he has to sort of describe the intentions and that, and like we don't necessarily get all of that in this story. Mm-hmm. We don't get intention. We don't get a final like look at the yeah. thing. And I wonder what if it that's what it does. Uh,
0: there's something cinematic there. And I mean, obviously King is not not making a movie when he writes The Shining, but in movies a lot of times I feel like there's this promise that you have to like see something, and then if, if an audience goes away not having seen a ghost or having seen
1: a manifestation of some kind they're going to feel like they've been cheated a little bit yeah and and like i for a general audience i would say that even more so the case because i think it would be seen as more artsy if you were to like not show it eventually and have it sort of be like this looming presence that because like you said it's like a monster will get asses and seats right like you want to show something like that eventually like these these uh like obviously the example of like alien yeah um where it's lurking there's like small shots of it and then eventually by the end you see like most of it and then that's like you've seen it and then once you've seen it then aliens comes out and they're like now let's just have like 10 of them running around and like they're fucking all over the place and you see them like a lot still a great movie Um, still yeah still both great examples of good movies but um
0: two very different approaches
1: I also wanted to talk about the where they're going through this threshold. That's like really cold. oh the cold spot. Yeah, I loved that. Uh, I, and like because everybody's kind of felt something mm-hmm. like that before, and these universal like m- m- things that are, of course like uh if you turn your eyes or something like that and you see like the shadows in your eyes like just to the edge of what you can't see if you do that by yourself at night like you might freak yourself out yeah something i love like i I saw
0: something moving yeah
1: yeah if you feel like a gust or like something something cold as you're walking through somewhere like uh i just love using those universal like it's like fucking with our our fight or flight responses (laughs) as as like human beings as like our species was built on that and so like to i love that this this genre like is diving into something so visceral and so like baked into our like beings as as our biological makeup mm-hmm. to to deliver stories like this and I, I just thought that was so much fun. The threshold is great because um, yeah. it's like right in this the library or the study or something like that. I think that. it's
0: going into the uh nursery i want to say it was like nursery. that's what it was yeah
1: and then and then of course that leads into uh montague's wife who we'll get to eventually yeah yeah.
0: um so one of the other cool details about the cold spot is that he gets he gets a thermometer to come measure it like the next day or something and he can't Mm -hmm. detect any difference in temperature which i I just love that detail right but they can all feel it they can all feel it yeah yeah um i do uh i i want to also get across that not the the house is not only affecting eleanor it's just i think most strongly affecting her But I definitely got the implication that Theodora was also being turned against Eleanor a little bit by the house. Like, I think it was driving a wedge between them um, because she starts treating her very differently, too. Um, and, and, And in fact, it seems to be the one to first turn like she turns on Eleanor before Eleanor turns on her.
1: And it kind of happens with the stuff we were talking about with the writing on the wall. Yeah, like she like is like blaming her, and then everybody treats her a little differently from then on. Yeah, and then um, all of a
0: sudden she starts calling her like proud and like, like I don't know, like uh, just being kind of insulting and dismissive. Also at the same just time, condescending. condescending. Yeah. yeah, and like her and her and Luke start to have like something going on, maybe a yeah. romantic thing later on. They're just
1: excluding her, regardless of whatever's right. going on with them. They're excluding Eleanor.
0: Yeah. Um, which Eleanor picks up on immediately and and starts feeling like an outsider again. Um, But also one of the things that's really cool is how Eleanor never felt like she belonged anywhere. And one of the like siren calls, I think of Hill house for her is that it welcomes her. It wants her there eventually. And she starts to feel that she starts to feel like this is where I'm supposed to be, whether or not it's a pleasant place to be. She does feel like she belongs. It feels like home to her and that is one of the things that ends up being like one of the most seductive, I think for her. And and we can see why, like she's done such a good job of setting up this character who
1: desperately wants to feel like she belongs
0: Mm -hmm. somewhere. Um, and she feels wanted or mm -hmm. important.
1: So, so like a purpose at that place. Uh, and it is so interesting because she acknowledges almost the entire time through that. It is like it's she, I think she feels this, the, influence and she feels the pull from Hill House and also at the same time is like, but uh, but it's scary and I can't, you know, there's I can't be alone. There's like a lot of that going on where like they can't be alone in any rooms and go through doors, anything like that. Yeah. So she's always acknowledging the fact that like it's not necessarily the nicest place to be and it's kind of scary. But also sense of belonging is important like you said there
0: yeah all right let me read the next paragraph because it has some of the creepiest shit in it (laughs) uh later in the novel the bossy and arrogant mrs montague and her companion arthur parker the headmaster of a boys school arrive to spend a weekend at hill house and help investigate it they too are interested in the supernatural including seances and spirit writing Unlike the other four characters, they do not seem to experience anything supernatural, although some of Mrs. Montague's alleged spirit writings seem to communicate with Eleanor. Much of the supernatural phenomenon that occurs is is described only vaguely, or else are partly hidden from the characters themselves. Eleanor and Theodora are in a bedroom with an unseen force trying the door, and Eleanor believes, after the fact, that the hand she was holding in the darkness was not Theodora's. Okay, I don't like the way that was written because that's one of the scariest <laughs> moments in the in the entire thing is that she thinks she's clutching Theodora's hand um mm-hmm. and and um and and, I, and you think that it's this nice moment cuz they've just had their first fight, like real fight, and so you're like, okay, now that they're both scared, they're like taking solace in each other's company and she's like clutching her hand desperately at this this pounding and this actually it's like a I think this is when the child is like crying and she's thinking about a child being abused. And she can hear this murmuring in the other room Um, and she's clutching this hand. And then um, she like finally screams something at the, at the other room of like, I can't take this anymore or something. And then Theodora wakes up and it's like, what's going on? And like, she realizes that she was not holding her hand and she doesn't know whose hand she was holding. And it's, you know, chills when that happens like cool cool moment
1: great scene i also really like the scene the first scene where there's like a full-on paranormal experience where they're like trapped in the room and the the, it's something's banging on the door and how like that scene creeped me out for sure that scene was really creepy because it's like uh they're just like huddling together in the room and they're like call they're they're call i think they eventually call or scream out or something like that yeah and luke and montague show up montague show up and uh there's like no marks on the door even though the door was they like being like blasted off its hinges yeah. by the hits the blows that were hitting it and uh creepy scene yeah
0: um okay so a little bit left in this paragraph in one episode as theodora and eleanor walk outside hill house at night they see a ghostly family picnic that seems to be taking place in daylight theodora screams in fear for eleanor to run warning her not to look back though the book never explains what theodora sees okay we already talked about that scene um (laughs) it's good that's another really good weird there's a couple of times where i think it's shirley jackson is playing with us because she seems to set up the outdoors like if you're if you're really having a hard time inside the house get out into the garden and you'll feel a little better um and it seems to be kind of idyllic and nice
1: one of the best parts is Miss Miss Dudley uh, has like five or four or five different escape routes from the kitchen. Because yeah. like and that's like setting up the fact that like just get the hell out of the house once things start to go down and, and like you need to have an exit close by. There's literally like a kitchen that leads out to like a some sort of balcony or something or some sort of veranda. I don't know, something like that. And they all lead to the same place and just five doors leading outside so you can quickly get out.
0: yeah. Um, a great detail and then the idea that that would be safe though is they're turned on its head by multiple yeah. times where things get really fucking wonky and like fun housey when she's out there like it's the only way I can really describe it like it starts bending reality she gets separated from Theodora and um uh, Luke at one point and she uh she starts like seeing footsteps in the grass and then out onto the water and like just creepy like surreal stuff yeah um and then they they seem to like laugh at her expense when she kind of comes back to them and, and again it starts to feel like these wedges are being drived between her and all the characters
1: yeah I, I gotta ask you about a couple of specific things though so it's like this t- takes place over a few you know i don't know how many days specifically yeah, it's like a, multiple like a days week, and nights i think uh, yeah.
0: yeah approximately
1: so each night or or seemingly some of the nights creepy shit happens and then the next morning they're like it'll be better and then they wake up the next morning they're still there i think most rational people i know that like they're excited to and i think that that's what what shirley jackson's doing with having it be like a study that they're trying to figure out because otherwise you leave the house you're like this is too creepy i gotta get out of here instead it's like they've door. but then the thing with
0: eleanor and i think one of the reasons she stays is she has nowhere to go yeah, and and she's she's kind of put she's bet everything on this, so mm-hmm. where would she go if she you know what I mean I mean we know it's like you could go anywhere I mean it would be hard but like it's better than <laughs> Hill House. Right. Yeah. um but the, you know I think she's worried about having to go back to the life she hates, yeah. um so she's trapped and and uh, I think that that's becomes important as we get into the final paragraph here, um before we do though like the planchette. um I was gonna say made me think of made me think of the stand i think that was the last time we read about a planchette right
1: right yeah i actually thought of that scene the with uh young nadine yeah nadine Uh, yep the planchette is important that's something we have to talk about and then also miss montague being a source of comedy and also a source of just like being the person where you're like whoa whoa, whoa, like don't you know be careful respect the spirits (laughs) yeah don't don't upset them and like the way that she's like so uh confident in everything she's doing and it's not going to mess anything up and you're just like and honestly she doesn't really it's not her fault in any way anything that goes on and but what a a really funny character in the way that like it it undermines montague dr montague the entire time like you're like oh he knows his shit and then like his his wife comes in and she's just like this is how we do things you need to respect all the things that i'm doing and he's just like He just listens to her. I think it's a lot. It's really funny. And a lot of the stuff that goes on with her is great.
0: Yeah. It's such a surprise And, and and a welcome, like a welcome surprise at the end of the end of the book. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It mixes up the story in a way that I think I was not expecting that story to have anything like that. Yeah.
0: And she when she's so there's a timer placed on the book, which is also a smart thing to do. Where uh Doctor Montague says my wife is coming on Saturday, and like it was cool because like they couldn't, they actually didn't what, really know what day it was. They were like, "I think that's, I think that's in like a couple days." Well, we'll know when she arrives. Was <laughs> kind of the thing they Which said. Which is so weird. Like, yeah. What a
1: weird thing to not know that what day it is. They're yeah. losing
0: track of time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so you're you're waiting for her to arrive, and it becomes this thing where you're like is this going to be a rescue? You know what I mean? Like is a new character coming in? I'm going to be a source of, of rescue. Of course it's not, but um, it gives you something to look forward to, which I think is smart. And then, yeah, she's such an interesting character. Very surprising. Not what I expected at all of this, of this wife character. Very cool. Um, and, and yeah, like you said, funny. Um, she's just kind of like a bull in a China shop a little bit. She's just like doing her thing. She's got her planchette. She calls it like the planchette or something like the planchette says. And um, yeah, it's it, she has like a weird relationship with the planchette i said what was going on with this guy she's with i don't know it's yeah, like her weird. there's a lot of companions and weird um, a yeah. lot of them are mentioned as oh they, you know they have a companion in fact um the daughters one of them has a companion who lived with her um mm-hmm. and i don't know if that was just like a euphemism at the time for uh you know like a lesbian relationship or something um, it seemed like
1: it to me yeah. but you know who am i to say hard to know, know
0: but um uh, yeah, I just I, I it I definitely see like there's grist for the mill if you if you wanted to see it that way. there's a lot there. Mm-hmm.
1: um well and you know, even the relationship between theo and and Eleanor at some point, you're like, you know, th- I, I think that clearly has some of that in there for you. I, th- to, I thought to... so too. I think there's yeah. a
0: moment where she minches something about being a lesbian. Uh, Theodora does to Eleanor, mm-hmm. and it felt like borderline flirtatious a little bit, like maybe kind of testing the waters to see if she's interested in that sort of thing um you know so and and they have this you know close relationship that you could definitely see as sisterly but there is a little bit of that too and and, and just enough to where i think it leaves it open to, for interpretation like is there something romantic yeah. there is that why she feels so betrayed when theodore seems like a, seems a friendship to have something love going on with luke
1: yeah there's a friendship love that you kind of could take for romantic love as well and then like nearing the end eleanor wants to leave and go with theo or, or like around. Yeah, she really wants to. The it, end, well, but.
0: because you know, think about it. That makes sense because she has no other recourse, and so she all of a sudden is like, "I'm going to go with you." um She also has seemed to kind of like had this whole fantasy in her mind about what that's going to look yeah. like,
1: which and is, Theo is like completely against it, yeah. which I think pushes her directly into the open arms of Hill House. Yeah. So
0: let's read that last paragraph. So fearing for Eleanor's safety after an incident where she climbs up a dangerous winding staircase, Dr. Montague and Luke declare that she must leave. Eleanor, however, regards the house as her home and resists. Dr. Montague and Luke force her into the car. She bids them farewell and drives off before leaving the property grounds. She propels the car into a large Oak tree and is assumed that she is killed. Um, and then we we actually end on the same paragraph. Like it's kind of cool cuz it like doesn't start the same way, but then it goes back into it. Like, it starts as a different right. different paragraph, different ending and then all of a sudden we're reading the first paragraph again. And it ends mm-hmm. on Hill House, um, you know, people who walk there walk alone. Um and I, I got the implication that that is the fate of Eleanor, that she now is a, a, you know, she is the yeah. thing that walks alone in Hill House now.
1: Well, next people who come to stay might be dealing with Eleanor instead of whatever was there before, or maybe in addition in to. addition
0: to, yeah, she's she's at one point in the book says she's afraid of being alone, um, and it's heartbreaking because I think the implication is that Hill House, if you're there, you're alone. So she is forever now trapped in this. Seems like or maybe another eighty years or whatever is trapped in this house and is alone. So her worst nightmare comes to be. Um, and there's also this chilling moment, or I found it chilling, where she's totally. So, the reason she drives into the into the tree is she can't imagine leaving, and she's like, "I have to stay here. I have to stay here." And she're all forcing. They're her forcing to her to go and she's like, "Well, they can't stop me from doing this." And so she drives into the car, but right before she hits the tree, she has this like moment of clarity where she's like, yeah. "What am I doing? Someone needs to stop me. you know,
1: why am I doing Why this? am I doing yeah. this?"
0: And then she hits the tree. So she like has a moment of clarity. Um, after like all this because she, she's gone full madness at this point like yeah. her thoughts are off the deep end you know totally compromised by the house and
1: um, we, we yeah. mentioned like she wakes up kind of and there's this weird moment where she like the the inner monologue of Eleanor then realizes like somebody calls out for Eleanor because Theo realizes she's not in her room anymore and the inner monologue is like oh yeah I forgot about Eleanor and you're like, wait, this is Eleanor's internal monologue yeah. saying this. So like, you're like, holy shit, she's like gone, and she's like banging on the doors on her way down the hallway, and she's dancing around with Crane. Yeah, and she, yeah. she goes up the staircase eventually, like we talked about. She doesn't which even, is like another... realize
0: why she's up there, and you know, yeah, right.
1: Really creepy. And then they have to go up and get her. And there's this tense scene where Luke goes up to get her, and it's like on his way down. You think something's gonna happen the whole way down. Well, it's extended... he also
0: like he it, it could have been this heroic moment for Luke. But instead, like, he gets yeah, up yeah. there and he starts saying, like, I'm going to push you off if you don't settle down. You know, he starts being a huge asshole. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just like, I don't like, even I, know
1: if we if we mentioned, like, Luke is supposed to inherit the house eventually. Yeah. So, like, that's an interesting perspective for him to see, like, all this creepy shit going on. Yeah. And, like, he... And then even through all of it, he's still like, yeah, no, I'm going to do this with this room and I'm going to do... And you're like, you're... Oh, really? So, like, even with all this creepy stuff, you're going forward with your plan to... Yeah, to, although at you know, the
0: end, I think it said that he, like, goes off to Europe or something. And yeah, like, Paris. Paris, point, yeah, yeah, you're right. And he's like, so and whether or not he's going to actually come back, I think, is open Open. Well, question. because
1: of how they, they all realize how much it changed Eleanor. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Near the end.
0: One of the things I really like, there was a detail at one point where she can hear anything that's happening in the house.
1: Yeah, that, it's like she like is becoming the house in a way. So early on, they can't hear it. Like someone will be saying something or yelling or something. They can't hear it because there's so many doors and it's so winding. And then eventually she has like super sensing hearing. Yeah, she
0: can like hear someone coming out of a room like in another part of the house. And like she knows that they're walking down the stairs and all this stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, things just start to get weird. Like she gets entwined with the house, um, you know, and, and that becomes the trap for her um, that she can't escape. So, like I said, this book, uh, just incredible. I really loved it. One of my favorites I think we've read on the podcast. And it's going to yeah. be a tall order for the show to somehow surpass this. But I'm going in with an open mind. Uh, I've liked some of the stuff. We have we covered Mike Flanagan for Dr. Sleep, I believe, mm-hmm. which, which was yep. pretty solid. Um, so I'm interested to see what this is. I know he's like well-known for this series in particular, so I'm, I'm excited to see what that's yeah. like. Um, he's
1: honestly a really cool voice in, in horror. I think like he's like promote. he's uh, doing a lot with Stephen King properties yeah. and he, you know, he's done a lot recently. So he, I think he's great.
0: I'm curious. I'm excited for the show. Um, and at the end of it, we will, we will make a judgment on what was the better version, but that's going to be it for Shirley Jackson for now. I'm sure we'll talk about yeah. her in the other episodes, uh, in this, this version of the story. Um, and I'm excited to watch a, maybe another adaptation in our, on our Patreon. Um, but yeah, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, a great way to let us know is in, with a rating and review on whatever app you use to listen to this on. Uh, if you're on YouTube, throw the episode a like and make sure you subscribe, that kind of stuff. And then just like tell somebody, you know, somebody like Shirley Jackson and you had fun listening to this, let them know because I would love for other Shirley, Shirley Jackson fans to to listen to this thing because I, I had such a great time talking about her and I think it, I think it would be fun.
1: Yeah, also, if you, if you enjoyed this episode, consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash ink to film uh we put out bonus episodes like luke was talking about eventually we're probably going to do another uh haunting of hill house adaptation yeah and we have tons of bonus content we also have other tiers that you can check out and you know genuinely couldn't have continued this podcast as long as we have if not for the patreon so thank you to everybody over there
0: yeah and specifically thank you to chris c who's been a patron for a long time big time supporter of us uh thank you so much chris uh we hope you enjoyed this episode um also, if you are on YouTube, make sure to check out our tier ranking video. It's uh, it's like one of the top videos on our channel when you go there. Um, it's I, We had a lot of fun with it. I was able to edit together a video, which I had never done before. I had to play around with like putting in trailer clips and all this different stuff. Um, and I would just love to know what people think of it. So if, if you're interested in seeing some actual video content of us with our faces check that out
1: yeah also on social media we're on facebook twitter and instagram all of those at to film make sure to follow us there
0: and thank you to ross
1: Bugden for the use of our intro and
0: outro music
1: yeah i just wanted to say again how much i love this book and what an experience it was i, I have to give a shout out again to guillermo del toro for like ramping up my excitement for this story going in and like seeding it in all of this like horror history and then leading me into this like amazing story and then uh i'm so excited for you to check out the show i i we're gonna have a lot of stuff to talk about cool all
0: right and we will begin our journey with that next week with the first five episodes i believe the first half however many that ends up being uh and until next time
1: thanks for listening